This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio Season 7, Episode 31. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 31 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy hatton And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today we're speaking with Craig Randall, author of Trust-Based Observations. Craig received his bachelor's degree from the University of Washington, a master's degree in education in guidance and counseling from St. Martin's University, and his principal certification from Western Washington University. Craig's worked as an elementary and middle school counselor, including one intense year in the classroom with students with severe behavior issues. In addition, he's served as a teacher at the elementary, middle, and high school and college levels. Craig's mission is to transform the world of teacher observation and evaluation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. He's dedicated to training and consulting school leaders on the use of trust-based observations, empowering leaders to build supportive relationships with teachers, relationships which foster risk-taking, which in turn dramatically improve teaching and learning. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really thankful for the opportunity. Great. Looking forward to the conversation. Let's jump right in. How did you become so interested and focused on teacher observation? Oh, probably by accident. <laughs> um, I would say that uh, even when teacher observations were at their best, I just felt like they were so infrequent. And then I like I wanted to be seen more. I wanted to show off. I wanted to learn more. Sometimes the gaps between observations were so long that we never even talked about the last one. And then after that, after like the good experiences, I had an experience where for two straight years, I wasn't observed at all, which is maybe more common than some of us might realize. And about the same time, I had had someone recommend that I do a principal certification program when I was in that. And I met my mentor. And maybe that's when it really started because in his supervision class, he started talking just the very first day about you have to be in classes every day, observing teachers, having a reflective conversation, focusing on strengths, supporting them, building relationships and helping them grow. And I just remember this hallelujah moment of like, yes, all the time. And I remember asking him, well, how often, how often? And he said, an hour a day. And so that really started it. But then I'll say further than that, when I got my first assistant principal job. Well, let me back up. In his class, we actually practiced all the time. We would bring little 10 minute mini lessons to uh, the class to teach and one of us would observe. And then we would have these reflective conversations that were really different because the reflective conversation started by asking questions instead of telling teachers. And so it was, what were you doing to help students learn? And if you had to do over again, what if anything might you do differently? So then, because we practiced so much, I felt really confident. 
uh, in my ability to do that and to influence improved teaching and learning. And I got really lucky. I was overseas, so I think we were able to not have the strict structures of what you have to do here. And I had a principal that was at the point in his career where I think what had excited him most was having somebody young and passionate. And though I wasn't that young, I was passionate. And I told him what I wanted to do about with observations. And he said, great, let's do it. And he started doing it too. And then that's when I think I really started to realize something because we would have these conversations and we would go in their rooms and we would ask them these questions and then we would just share strengths. And we would leave it at that at first because one, I was new and I didn't want to tell somebody to get better at something that maybe they were good at, but I just hadn't seen because we see them so infrequently. And two, maybe because I was the new guy and wanted to be liked, but instantly teachers would say, wow, nobody's ever asked me about my teaching. And a lot of teachers would say that, which is sad, but they appreciated it so much. And then even the same thing with the sharing of the strengths, because there were no ratings, you were just sharing what you saw. And you could just see them appreciate it and verbalize that. And then even though we didn't ask or offer suggestions, about the third time through, we just had this rash of teachers say, okay, 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 but what can I get better at? And I didn't realize it at the time, but that was really trust developing. So they really wanted to grow and they felt safe. And then just the last little bit I'll say is because of that, then when it came time to growth, we weren't talking about moving from a two to a three on a scale. Oftentimes it was about adopting some new practice that could be really impactful. And teachers would take bold risks like adopting flipped classroom model or going to a Kagan cooperative training and completely changing the way they teach the next year. And the results were dramatic. And so altogether, that was really the start of where it went from there to here to where it is now. Love the plug for Kagan. I can't let that go. The oh plug my. for Kagan. Yes. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with <laughs> it's you. been a long time since I've heard anybody talk about it, but I, uh, some of those strategies and routines are just oldies, but goodies. Yes. Oldies, but goodies. So Craig, in your answer, you mentioned the word trust. And in the title of your book, you've put trust-based in front of this word observations. And I'm sure our listeners have all experienced on one end or the other this idea of observation. So why trust-based observation? And what does that look like? How is that different from maybe a different kind of observation? Yeah, the traditional observations. And I mean, look, I think Marzano and Danielson are the two main models that are out there. Uh, like in Washington state, we have another one called self-ID that's University of Washington. But so I, like I said, I didn't realize it was trust in the beginning, but over time I did realize that, that that was somehow a factor in relationships and that when people trust, they're more willing to take risks. And, and when people are willing to take risks and persist in taking risks, then you're going to see growth. And so there's actually a man named Matt O'Leary out of the out of the UK, and he's the predominant researcher on observation evaluation in the world, at least in my opinion. And he did all this research and he found that as soon as we start to rate pedagogy uh, or rate evaluate, but I think he really meant the pedagogy piece because that's where we pour our heart and soul into the teaching, what I'm choosing to do. Teachers start to play it safe and therefore they don't take risks. They don't innovate as much and they are not as creative in their attempts to grow. And what he found is that really what's happening is there's not trust when that happens. And so if we can work to develop trust, then that with that safety, people are more willing to take trust or take risks in what they do. And so with trust-based observations, the process is this. It is continuous cycle of observations. It's 12 per week. 
They're unannounced. They're 20 minutes. So on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have uh, 12 observations. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we have 12 reflective conversations. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are about two hours, and it's about an hour on Monday and Friday. So we go into the teacher's room, have our seat in the back. We have our template. The template only has nine areas of pedagogy on it with a space at the bottom that we can add extra practice that we notice because we realize we're leaving some out. But research shows that as observers, if there's anything more than 10 indicators, we start to lose the forest through the trees and we get so busy checking boxes that we don't really see the teaching that's going on. And so we watch the teaching that's going on. Under each category, we have what we call toolbox possibilities, which are just little examples of what good practice are. are. And so that's really helpful as an observer so I can be precise in the language that I'm using to write down what I see. I'll just add that the toolbox possibilities for each category also are a web resource link. So if you click on it, it actually brings you to another page that's good for teachers and observers so they can build their practice in terms of that too. And they're 20 minutes. And then one other piece that we have that I think is different is what we're teaching is important, but what's way more important is, are they learning what we're intending to have them learn through our teaching? And so we also have a student interview in there where we ask them like what the learning target is, what they're supposed to be learning. We tailor it somewhat to the grade level that the kids are at and their developmental understanding, and then how they would know or how they might be able to transfer that learning. So we know that too. And it's 20 minutes and that is the actual observation process. And we just continually cycle through department by department or grade by grade all year long. So what, what are some of the 10 uh, factors that you're looking for? Um, the whole learning targets and all the different elements that are involved in the learning target, uh, teacher rapport, relationship and management, uh, rapport and relationship, uh, the classroom management. Uh, what do we have? Uh, cooperative learning. And I am a huge Kagan fan and it's really, really powerful and effective and Hattie would back me up on that. And then uh, working memory, retention of learning. So that 10 to uh, higher order thinking questioning. So we've got a Bloom's taxonomy pyramid that we can tailor the questions and put them in a row to the where they fit on the pyramid so teachers can see that, which they really like the pyramid visual. We have uh, formative assessment, uh, descriptive progress feedback, uh, specific differentiation. So those are the nine areas. And then there's one area that's not really a pedagogy area, but it's that you know that retention of learning pyramid where it would say reading 5%, lecture 10%, all the way down to teaching others at 90%. Clearly that percentage has been debunked because no, no study would actually have those even five and 10 number of percentages, but teachers love seeing where the activities that they've used go on that pyramid. And that's, that's it. So how do you see all of those items in that 20 minutes or do you just pick one that you're focusing on that day or... Um, sort of what does that process look like? Uh, I've never seen all nine in one 20 minute visit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even with learning targets, if you think about the element of learning targets, unless you're in there at the beginning of the class, you'll never see like the unpacking of the learning target. But um, really it, it's, uh, we just, it's a, like teaching is craft and art. I think observing is craft and art. And so we're looking for things and we've got the template as a guide, but we're also like, what's striking me? What am I noticing? And it's a combination of all of that at the same time. And I still like, well, I'll read the little toolbox possibilities because I don't have them all memorized. And it's like, oh yeah, I did just see that. And I'll write that down. And so you just kind of- You see just, what you see. See what you see and let it take you where it takes you. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And after you see what you see, you have some conversation about what you saw. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about some of the facets of that reflective conversation. Yeah. And we like to say that the reflective conversation is where the magic happens because that's where the relationship is, is built. And, and so it's all about trust. So every single thing we do with reflective conversation is designed to develop trust. So uh, we say that whether I'm seven, 17 or 37, getting called to the principal's office feels like getting called to the principal's office. So instead of having it at the at my office, we go to the teacher's room and knock on their door. We ask permission to come in. I've never been turned down because they always are interested and eager to know, you know, and have engaged in that conversation, whether it's worry or excitement or whatever, they always are interested in that. And so we go into the room um, because our job title, makes it so there's a hierarchical difference. We try to minimize that as much as we can. So if we sit across from them, that magnifies that difference. So we like to sit right beside them with our laptop open and the observation template there. So we're being as transparent as we possibly can. And we begin by saying, what were you doing to help students learn? And we talk about that in terms of pedagogy. And sometimes you have to help them build the pedagogical language and read frame and then we ask what uh, if you had to do over again what if anything might you do differently and even that we frame it like because I'm the boss sometimes you might feel like you're obligated to say that you would do it differently but the reality is that sometimes we nail it most of the time we think oh I do that differently and when you teach more than one prep of the same class you do do it differently in the second one and on a rare occasion you bomb and so whatever it is it's okay so we do that just to set the table that it's okay to share what you want to share and then following that we just say so now we're going to move on to the evidence of which is really a sharing of strengths and we share what we see. There's no ratings. There's no numbers one through four involved, like that whole visiting four thing, which is absurd to me. And we just share what we saw. But I'll say this, when we do the reflective conversation, we at first, like for the first three visits definitively, even if I've been at the school and know my teachers and I'm starting trust-based observations new, I don't offer any suggestions because that's just setting the table for what we're doing new. And this is a new way of doing things and it helps to build trust. And so that's the basics of it. Um, But then when it does come time to offer a suggestion, one, we have to use our our instinct and gut to guide us on that too. Because if you've had principles that maybe were tougher principles and your guard is up and you feel that, it's okay to wait longer than three visits until you feel like they're more open to it. We max it out at one year. But, uh, but we're playing the long game here. But even then, when we do offer a suggestion, we're not just offering a suggestion and just leaving you with that. It's a supported suggestion. So I planned ahead of time. So maybe I'm pulling something from that toolbox possibility from the web that I can show them. Because we're in classes so much, I really know who my in-house experts at each area of pedagogy are. So maybe I've talked to that teacher that's an expert in that area where I want to work with that teacher on improving. And I prearranged that we can have those two work together. Um, I'll say also when we think about an area of growth suggestion, we want to think what's the biggest impact area. And uh, so that's really how it works. And I'll just add one other thing. There's one other area on the form that's called risk taking and innovation. And that's not something we're really looking for, but it's there. So we as observers can send this reminder to our teachers until they believe it to be true. And that's this. It's that I want you to know that if I go into your classroom and I watch you doing something new that completely bombs, 
that you will know with 100% certainty that the next day you're going to get congratulations, praise, a fist bump, a high five for taking risks. Because when you know that's the reality, then you'll persist in taking risks. And we say growth will necessarily follow. So the world isn't perfect. Uh, we do have those teachers where I'm sure every time you observe them, you walk away every time saying, wow, what an mm -hmm. awesome learning environment that person has designed. Yep. But there might be those occasions where you have those repeated conversations with somebody who needs a little bit more support, uh, yep. potentially an action plan. So yep. what kinds of suggestions do you have for our listeners, Craig, who might find themselves in that predicament uh, where you want to maintain that trust, but yet you, you know, you have to uh, elevate the expectations for some people. Yeah. So if you haven't adopted trust-based observations and you're working within the framework, maybe that hasn't been built, that's a tougher situation. But if you've been working to build trust like we have, then I think that helps somewhat. But in, in either case, I think we have to think about what we're doing and, and we have to ask ourselves questions first and preparation is key. So one, is this a person that triggers me? And because we all know that like sometimes some personalities don't mesh as well. And so if we think it might be somebody that triggers me, seek advice from a colleague and, and make sure it's not just me first off and having a personality issue with this person. But beyond that, when we do it, we want to think we want to have our plan prepared, a plan of action. It all has to be designed truly with the idea of being supportive and making the kind of growth changes that we want. We can't do it like procedurally to know we have to do it, thinking that it's just a matter of time. We have to really assume best intentions and hope for best intentions um, and have our plan do that. And we want to share that too. But I think at the same time, Something that I think is really, really important is that we think about in a conversation like this, in a difficult conversation, one, I think it's really normal that the amygdala is going to kick in for us and that fear is going to kick in and we're going to anticipate the worst case scenario, which is going to maybe make us reluctant to engage in that conversation. One, we can't let that get in the way. But two, I think it's fair and I think it's important to think about what this person does respond in a negative way. And that happens rarely, but being prepared for when it does is, is a really, really big key to success. So that way I sort of pre-prepared my answer if they come up with a negative answer ahead of time. And I, I had that really bad experience where if I'd thought about it, I would have changed the way I did it and I didn't. And I sort of erupted a little bit because I was shocked that the person just flat out lied to me. And that was a really good learning lesson for me that no, think about that ahead of time. And so then I just think we have our plan. And, and if we think it's something that is potentially a conflict situation, I think bringing in your assistant or someone else in there just to have a third voice in there. And sometimes if it's a personality thing and if my assistant or one of the other people has a more constructive or connected relationship with them, have that person lead it. Then we just, we work as a team to do that and with success in mind and concrete steps and just support, support, support. And sometimes, of course, it's not going to end that way, but that's the steps we can take to do our best to help it be successful and positive. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. And um, we appreciate your perspective and um, motivation to build relationships to improve teaching and learning. And um, before we invite you to share what's next for you, we have a couple of very quick, rapid response. So quick responses here. Who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about teacher observation? 
I would say Matt O'Leary out of the UK. Uh, He has a book called Reclaiming Lesson Observations, I believe. And I think another one called Classroom Observation. And just his research uh, on observation is is, pretty fascinating and insightful. And if you're recommending one book, what would it be? Like I would be mandatory to give every first year teacher the courage to teach by Parker Palmer because he just articulates so clearly what we all think and fear and worry about out loud. So we're like, oh, it's not just me. All right. Last question. What online site or resource do you learn from regularly? Uh, I'd say two. I'd say one is I just Diane Ravitch and her politics and education are amazing. And then uh, the Marshall Memo is just really helpful with kind of combining all the different best of of the week. All right. Thank you so much. We'll add those to our show notes. All right, Craig, wrapping it up. So what are you working on now? What's next for you that you'd like to share with our listeners? My mission truly is to change the world of teacher observation to a model of support and trust where it really does improve teaching and learning growth, which I will say the Measures of Effective Teaching study by the Gates Foundation shows that traditional models are not doing that. And so I am just marketing and getting out in schools and training and just right now one school at a time to change the world of observations. Love it. Love it when people have a mission. (laughs) And a very clear mission. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Craig. Um, We'll leave you, our listeners, with some ideas and links in the show notes to learn more about Craig's work. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation and reflection. This episode's question, why is it important for school and district leaders to maintain trust throughout the observation process? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 31. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Craig. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.